Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Is Resident Evil Degeneration the most politically complex movie ever made? <laughs> Hello everyone out there in podcast land. Welcome to your number one source for Resident Evil discussion. I am one of your co-ghosts. I'm one of the two specters that haunt these radio waves. I am joined... Uh, my name is Ash, and I'm joined, as always, by, by someone who uh, also appreciates being able to flawlessly do an introduction on every single episode. John, a.k.a. The Liquor Guy. How's it going? I... I am so excited to be back here again, talking about Resident Evil some more. This is this is going to be this is one of those episodes that I've I've been looking forward to recording all day. It, Resident Evil really has become kind of a home away from home, hasn't it? Uh, I am settled into my my cute little apartment on the outskirts of Raccoon City, and. <laughs> Always happy, always happy to be here. Yeah, I have to. I have to train into Raccoon City every day to go to the office. Like, I can't afford one of the apartments in the city center. <laughs> they're, they're just way. They're way too expensive. Um, well, with that, that brings us on to something really very important. Just a quick message from our sponsors. This program is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard and get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Thank you for listening and stay spooky. It's not wolves. It's wolf. 20,000 years. 10 times your fucking Christian era. be cool if we can get albert wesker to do a patreon plug for us i wonder who the voice actor we we should look that up and see if they have like a a request on that one website yeah yeah see if we can get albert wesker to do a cameo for us (laughs) seven minutes it's all i have to play with you um today we are discussing the first of the animated resident evil films Resident Evil Degeneration. Uh, this was my second viewing. Uh, how, how was your first? Now, you may have thought, listeners, that we had covered all of the Resident <laughs> Evil films. But, oh no! <laughs> we, we have covered merely the live-action Resident Evil films thus far. Um, this was my first viewing of the first of three feature-length animated films in the Resident Evil universe. And I have to say, I I feel profoundly changed by the experience. Uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is a contact with the divine now, isn't it? It's a numinous CG film. I honestly sort of watched this with quite a lot of my just jaw on the floor um, and, and just messaging you occasionally just to basically go, what? <laughs> What what what, <laughs> what what's happening? Um, okay, I I I know we don't do this on the short episodes. We don't do the kind of full length um, kind of uh, pricey that you put so much time and effort into. But I honestly do think with this one, in order to kind of have a starting point, we should just try and explain 
what happens in this film. And and I'm actually going to do this completely straight this time. Yeah. 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 Um I I believe I tweeted out this morning that Resident Evil Degeneration is the most politically complicated movie ever made. And I I'm fairly secure in that statement. I don't think other movies get this deep in their political cups. Um, so uh, our movie starts uh, with returning Resident Evil champion Claire Redfield. Claire Redfield lands in an airport and is greeted by some other members of Terrasave, aka not Greenpeace. Uh, they're a they're a kind of generic NGO that's working to stop these companies who create like the T virus, the G virus, these biological weapons. Um, immediately after landing, um, some zombies start attacking people. Yep. Um, there's a generic conservative American senator. Uh, uh, yep. Who yep. is uh, thrown into the mix? A plane crashes. A plane crashes into the airport. <laughs> um, before, oh, I almost forgot. Before this, we have intercut newsreels yep. of kind of uh, everything that's happened after the Raccoon City incident. So now uh, there's been a million killed worldwide by biological weapons of terror. Uh, all kinds of powers from the U.S. government to uh, uh, General Miguel Grande, the uh, CIA coup plant dictatorial leader of a unspecified Asian Asian country. Uh, yep, we will return to the to the general. We will return to oh. the general in due course. Miguel Grande. I think that was the, the the text I sent to you while I was watching that this morning. Was just me frantically trying to type Miguel Grande over and over again. <laughs> um. So the plane the plane crashes in into the airport, which is a phrase that I'm still struggling with. Um, zombies break out and attack everything. Uh, the the SWAT team shows up uh, and waits for orders from Leon S. Kennedy, uh, Resident Evil Hall of Famer, and uh, a man with a beautiful uh, Belieber haircut. He's got that emo swoop. He's looking great, and he's now he's now the world's number one anti bio terror weapon hitman solutions guy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so they they escape the airport and then they have to go to a pharmaceutical company. That's that's oh, they, oh see like this is this is almost impossible because there's so much going on here. They go to the pharmaceutical company <laughs> because because Claire decides that she was on the wrong team when she was part of the TerraSave NGO and now she's going on a lunch date. In the middle of the night with the CEO of the company that now owns the T-Virus, the thing she's trying to stop. Yep, yep. And s- surprise, surprise, turns out he's a bad guy. And he blows up his own research facility, but not before a, a, a guy who was radicalized after his family was killed in the first Resident Evil incident. And he's now become a, a bioterrorist, <laughs> injects himself with the G-Virus, and, and a giant fight ensues. Before his, which culminates in his sister wearing a sundress, wistfully looking out at the city before them, asking Leon on a date. I, I want, I wanted this hallmark that that's where this movie ends. Yep. Um. Um. That's what we're dealing with today. <laughs> just, just the most going on here. Just a lot going on. Um. L- literally every scene, nothing ever stops. In this movie, for for this movie just wants you to talk about everything from like 
like the Iran Contra affair all the way up to to nine eleven and mm-hmm. like and I can't I can't decide if this movie is making fun of Greenpeace or saying Greenpeace needs to radicalize and I'm like I wish I wish we were a YouTube channel right now because I am actually clutching at my hair while I'm talking about this. I I'm I'm doing exactly the same thing. Like I I have. I, I think that over the course of doing this show together, I have, you know, you, you have provided to, to me a, a, a rich and often deeply complicated cinematic education. Um, and, and ultimately, I, I don't think any of it has really phased me for too long. But I am going to be thinking about Resident Evil Degeneration for just, it's going to live in my head rent-free forever because there is so much going on here um it it is incoherently political about literally everything my my head is now a wholly owned subsidiary of tricell um okay so let's let's try and break this down and and maybe um uh, unlike you that i am not i am not versed in the deep lore the deep magic of the Resident Evil franchise <laughs> uh, and the Resident Evil expanded universe, um, and so I, I, I don't really know Leon Kennedy, the man with the uh, emotional capacity of my chair and the hair of a K-pop idol, um, <laughs> just just the most beautiful hair on on the body of a man who clearly has heard of emotions but doesn't know what they are. Um, he has got like the ability to no scope kill zombies with his pistol, uh, and he's amazing. <laughs> he he truly is the most wonderful action hero. I I just I love the the baffling decision to fuse because he's he he should be jacked. Right? Oh yeah, he, yeah. He, he should be burly and like just just over the top dripping with masculinity but but he's got this kind of like sunken emo look you know he's he's got the swoop haircut which is infamous if you're if you're a fan of the games especially in resident evil 4 leon's hair is a character in its own right it's this yeah this strange combination of being like hyper aggressive and then also looking like there should be like people uh in the raccoon city metropolitan area making fan cams of him (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i think uh we we might be getting lost in in the discussion of leon's perfect hair which is entirely acceptable i mean that's 80 percent of the resident evil fandom is still trapped in resident evil 4 because of leon's haircut but you're right let's let's let let us let us kind of like um just pull back a, l- a little bit um we should talk about we should talk about claire and the fact that this this film um i i said to, i said this to you before we started recording uh, which is like uh, the phrase incoherently political and it swings between sort of like two positions or as as like the pendulum in my opinion which is one a kind of libertarian reactionary wet dream of private corporations and private militaries running the world versus a very kind of centrist liberalism uh and so there is this moment where claire realizes that because 
she joined this NGO that's totally not Greenpeace. Uh, you know, she's responsible for the pharmaceutical company being very cautious about transferring its its uh, vaccines. Mm-hmm. So, so, so either this film thinks that if you join like a charity, you're a bad person, or it's saying if you're in a charity, if you're in a kind of NGO, you need to radicalize, otherwise you're never going to get anything done. <laughs> The thing about Claire's character that I find really interesting is she starts in this position as kind of a high player in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. Right? Like, like the first thing we learn about her character is, is, is that she's kind of married to her work. And like, you know, like, oh, who's your boyfriend this time? Is it the WHO report? And she's like, no, I'm working for the FDA now. And it's like, so she's she's getting up there, right? She's got accolades. She's doing well. But she hasn't encountered power yet, like political power with a capital P. And in, in this movie, she encounters the man who owns this company, who's, who's like secure enough in his position to be doing black market weapon sales to simultaneously the United States government and some kind of like vaguely Asian, vaguely South American dictator mm-hmm. and encounters the political power of the United States government. You know, like like she she's kind of thrown into a different arena where it's less this kind of like managerial approach to social change and just all of the actual players who have the real power and by the end of the movie she's kind of non-committally gone back to work with the ngo uh i believe they call that a character arc (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's it's sort of it's sort of baffling because like the opening the opening like 30 minutes everything happens so much in this um there there's the expositional news news uh footage which is kind of plot dumps at the start of the film we have this rapid intercutting and then literally a plane <laughs> flight crashes into the building that all of our characters are in um and that's when the plot starts and it just doesn't kind of let up and so you have to kind of go uh, 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 there is no real kind of progression because there just isn't time for the characters to choose to do anything different. It is uh, a mad dash to the finish line. You know, like this is, it's it's almost like a game show where everyone's frantically trying to do everything at the same time and then it just has to end at some point. So someone's yeah. declared the winner. And I think <laughs> w- one of the things that I find to be really interesting um, is that like, is the discourse of terrorism in this film. Right, there's a post 9-11 movie, and so so terrorism is at the forefront. We have a plane crashing into a building. We have like these international terrorists. And and what I find to be really interesting is the dialogue of terrorism itself. Right? Like what is the function of calling something or someone a terrorist or a terroristic event? Because what we see in this movie is that the uh the the kind of disaffected, radicalized uh terrorist save activist guy. Yeah, he's the terrorist. He's going to commit a terrorism. However, yes. the the CEO of the company who owns the T virus, who blows up his own building and is doing black market deals, he's a different kind of criminal. He's not a terrorist, even though he's he's ostensibly doing the exact same actions that the terrorist guy is doing. the The U.S. senator who is aiding and abetting all of these arms deals and all of these events isn't a terrorist. He, he is a stock market manipulator. He is a different class of criminal entirely, even though he's directly responsible for funding these actions. 
and I think what this movie is, you know, perhaps unintentionally exploring is that we need to be like, whenever someone starts calling something terrorism or extremism, we need to start picking apart why we're using those languages and why we're not approaching these subjects more directly and more openly and and what that's occulting, what that's hiding behind the screen, because what's hiding behind the screen in this case is that the real bad guy at the head of all of this is the company selling zombie virus weapons all over the world responsible now for 1 million deaths. Well, I actually think this is really important. And this is part of what I was, I was referring to when I talked about the way that this film is, has a very kind of liberal politics or, or its politics kind of swings wildly around a very liberal centric terrain. So the discourse of terrorism is precisely about individuating mm, and, yes. dis- and disciplining certain kinds of subjects. Um, you know, you, you only need to look at the real world example of the people unjustly imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay, for example, to mm-hmm. see what, to see what I mean. Uh, and really, like like all the other Resident Evil films, this film doesn't really think systemic problems exist. So you go, oh, we we have we have terrorism, but it happens on the news, and really the terrorism is the one guy who is going to do a terrorism. It isn't like you said, the corporate overlord. It isn't the the political machinations in the background. You can't really. You, our characters basically have to kind of. The kind of message really to me is like, oh, well, be pragmatic. Individual actions can be wrong, but this is just this is just how the world works, that private business will commit mass murder on a, on a global scale in order to drive up their stock price. And so there is something kind of quite cynical about that. I think you're completely correct that this discourse of terrorism is used as a sort of obfuscation of the wider systemic kind of cause, causal factors that go into something. And we we need to talk about stocks because you brought up line goes up and we need to talk about the times when line goes up and the times when line goes down. Yep. It is some time for some stonks discourse. <laughs> so in, 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 in a key part of this movie is a scene when a bunch of Redditors drive up the price of Umbrella as yep. a way to stick it to the hedge fund managers. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. No, but like we, we get several instances of people talking about, oh, Umbrella's stock went way up and then it tanked and the company dissolved. And then this company's stock went up and then and then they dissolved. And now this company's stock is rising. I know this senator is guilty of manipulating the stock market. And like there's almost as much focus in the background of this movie of, of the kind of capitalistic machinations of stocks and companies rising and falling as, as there is attention on the fact that we have a zombie virus and a vaccine for the zombie virus. And the distribution of the vaccine is wholly in the hands of a single company who has like three truckfuls at a time. And this is a global problem, by the way. One million have died to this thing across yep. the planet. And across there are the maybe entire world. three U-Hauls full of vaccines that just get blown up right in the beginning. And that that conversation takes second, takes second fiddle to yep. the primary conversation of whose stocks are going to get messed up by this, which reflects our current condition so frighteningly well. Well, this is just what I mean, right? When, when it's like, Oh, you just have to be pragmatic. You just have to kind of accept like in, in the resident evil world, the corporation is literally eternal. It is the Mm -hmm. ultimate unkillable zombie. You can never get rid of it. So you just have to kind of go, "Eh, eh, eh, 
what are we going to do? Uh, the state obviously is completely insignificant. Uh, the the president is mentioned like once in this entire mm-hmm. film uh, when there's been a massive uh, terrorist attack on U.S. soil. So the the whole point of the Resident Evil franchise, as I as far as I can tell so far, is that corporations are eternal, um, and that individuals it's 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 bad individuals that are pro- that are the problem within corporations, not corporate structures itself. You know, the stock market will always exist in the Resident Evil universe. Even even when all there is is Wesker barricaded into the White House with like flame, <laughs> there will still be, there will still be like a little stock ticker <laughs> and the line will still be going up. I think, I think that's brilliant. <laughs> I am, I'm now, I'm now going to log into Robinhood and move all of my stocks onto Wesker. Uh, I think, I think Wesker has what it takes. Um, no, I, I think that I think that is is really telling, and I think that it's a, it's probably a good point for us to pivot to the real main character of Resident Evil: Degeneration, and that's uh, uh, General Miguel Grande. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the infamous General Miguel Grande. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, at the beginning of this movie, we have like a montage of news clips, and one of them is General Miguel Grande, the the dictatorial leader of a very vague uh, country located somewhere in Asia is now buying bioweapons, right? And, it, and it's the classic discourse that you see of like, it's, it's the way that American media frames North Korea and Iran and Venezuela, like all, all of these, all of these countries with, I mean, like there's, there's a gamut of political systems right there. Oh you yeah, know, yeah. Like in, in, in widely different cultures and countries in all different parts of the world but the American media talks about them, uh, you know, in in with the same cadence and in the same direction. And we see Miguel Grande being sucked into that system. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is what this is why. Uh, the, again, the, the general doesn't doesn't really appear except via proxies. Mm-hmm. And this this is what makes me say that he's clearly. Uh, the CIA have done some CIA coup shit in the country <laughs> that the general is currently in control of, and they've installed the general. Um, I, I, so this is, I mean, it's, you know, we could we could kind of restage the Iran Contra controversy right right now. Uh, it's it's about making enough money to kind of keep this area of the globe under American imperialistic control. Uh, I don't believe. I, the other alternative is that he's some kind of hero of the people, but that would mean the, make the involvement w- with like major U.S. corporations kind of a bit more sketchy, in my opinion. So I think he is he is uh, a CIA puppet, frankly. The, this take spells out so much for us about what's going on in this movie, yeah. Right, Be- because because Miguel Grande very much has the vibe of one of those. Um, puppet dictators that are installed during a coup and now they've outgrown their usefulness and it's time to uh, turn on them and install someone else uh, yeah, infamously completely. Saddam Hussein you know, installed yeah. by the United States government uh, uninstalled by the United States government um, yeah I, this is this is this is straight out of the CIA playbook which they've been running since you know the 60s and, then, and, it, you know, and this is just this is a passing background detail in this movie. This isn't even really a key part of the film. This is this is every little sprinkling 
that's in Resident Evil Degeneration. You know, like this character is on screen for less than five seconds. It gets mentioned twice in the entire movie in passing both times. And and we could we could write a book on General Miguel Grande. We we absolutely could. Um but then then the general is is kind of pushed to the the, the, the sidelines uh until pretty much the very end of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh as we end up moving from so we complete the the airport level. Um <laughs> I, I have to be honest, I, I I I straight up love the action scene of a plane crashing through the terminal building. I think that's that's just I was sort of like, this is what I wanted from my Resident Evil films. I I I I, I had been impressed with the the live action franchise as it continued, but when that happened, I was just like, "Yeah, yes, these people get it. <laughs> what I want from this." It's it's much more turned up to eleven. It feels very in line with the spirit of the video games. Um, absolutely. So we complete the we complete the the airport level. We escape the terminal, um, and then we immediately move on to the next level, which is the pharmaceutical company. Uh, a secret laboratory. <laughs> um, and so I had a theory about this, which I would like to share. Yes. Which involves uh, returning, as we should, to really the only text that can help us understand Resident Evil, which is Friedrich Nietzsche's The Gay Science. Um, <laughs> so in The Gay Science, uh, Nietzsche posits, in, in one of his aphorisms, posits the possibility of eternal recurrence. This idea of like, what would it, what would, what would your response be if a demon came came to you and said that everything that you've done you would have to live through again? Would this be a kind of eternal hell for you, or have you lived in such a way that this would be nothing but a joy and a privilege to go through it again? And basically, my argument is this: Resident Evil, all the Resident Evil films are essentially an exercise in eternal recurrence because once again. The, the back two-thirds of this entire film is essentially restaging the plot of the first Resident Evil film. A, a small team has to go into a super-secretive high-tech lab and fight monsters. It's the same plot. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, is this not our lived condition? Right? Have, have we not just been going through endless reboots since Reagan and Thatcher decided that there was no more society? You know, it was just the individual and capitalism and nothing beyond. And since then, it's just been the same problems over and over and over again, rebooting constantly with some slight changes to fashion trends and aesthetic along the way. You know, all we've got now is a future of gleaming uh, office complexes that private military contractors will have to fight to the death in. Do That's not the- get me started about the architecture in this goddamn movie. That Will Pharma building should have sank into the fucking ground. <laughs> that 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 horrifying open air aesthetic design, like that, that is your prison. Yeah. Right? Like like there is your crushing design. Brutalism good, that open air forest trapped inside your corporate office. That that, that is an act of violence. That is nature subservient. To, capital. To, your, to your design. Every brutalist parking structure that has moss on it, infinitely superior than the Will Farmer headquarters. The Will Farmer headquarters straight up looks like the Amazon campus. See? <laughs> like, it it's all of these horrible does. tech buildings. And I think, uh, so th- this is, 
completely unrelated, but we have to end this episode on a dramatic 180. Uh, right? Yes, uh, we, yes, we, we do. To, it is only one way, and we have to talk about incest. Uh, yes, we do. Because um, this is exactly what the film decides to do. <laughs> In which, I guess, to, to couch our conversation, um, if you're a fan of Gothic literature, going all the way back to 1764, the, the Gothic historically is very into pseudo incest plot lines right so plot lines that are technically not incest right like like uh you know manfred in the castle of otranto is trying to marry a woman who would have become his daughter-in-law so it's pseudo incestual yes right and and this this trend goes through the gothic and it's used to express a whole variety of ideas what do you think it's trying to express here in its manifestation in resident evil degeneration okay so so uh, in the course of uh leon and and, and claire's uh, adventures in in the corporate apocalypse they pick up uh this side character who's also uh, a cop um and her name is it's is it angela Am- miller angela that's right and she has um she has a, a, an estranged brother, Curtis Miller. Uh, Curtis, who is who is now a radical, dangerous, dangerous environmentalist. Um, he's 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 out doing an environmental terrorism, and he turns up uh, to try and uh, once again, it's the same plot. His big plan is to do whistleblower shit. It's it's to do an Edward Snowden. It's to get evidence that this this. Um, about the cover-up of what happened in Raccoon City, and to to find out that this company is doing more vir- weird viral experiments. Uh, so yeah, his his, hit- his completely stable ten thousand IQ among us play is to <laughs> steal the G virus, inject himself with the G virus, and then that will somehow prove that the company was bad. Yeah, that is that is a big that's a bold swing. That's a that's a bold strategy. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> he's he's missing a lot of steps before we get to this something something profit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Step one, <laughs> prove the company is bad. <laughs> Step two, inject yourself with a dangerous bioweapon. Step three, question mark. Step four, profit. <laughs> yep. And um, so, so what? what so, uh, what happens? There's uh, a bit of Resident Evil lore here, but what happens when you're infected with the G virus? is you you mutate into a giant monster dude and typically one of your hands turns into a big old claw and you get some giant eyes popping up on your body everywhere. Uh, as I um, put, as I said to you, uh, Curtis is easily my favorite uh, boss from the Bloodborne DLC. <laughs> uh, looks amazing. <laughs> he's got those he's he's got that Wilhelm look. Um, <laughs> or the, the Ludwig Ludwig, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry Bloodborne fans. Um, but the the second thing that happens to you when you're infected with the G virus is is the G virus wants to replicate. Yes. Right. It, it wants it wants to breed, but unlike the other virus, it doesn't replicate by biting. You know, uh, it's not enough. You have the, the the G virus creates G virus parasites that need to go into a host to mm-hmm. to reproduce. If the host doesn't have compatible DNA, you get turned into a blob monster. If it has compatible DNA, you get turned into an even worse super monster. So in uh, Resident Evil 2, uh, Dr. William Birkin, the creator of the G-Virus, injects himself with it. 
and he spends the whole game hunting down his daughter because he needs to infect his daughter with a parasite in order to reproduce. Yes. Um, and, and we have a similar tone on the plot here where we have uh, Curtis Miller sees his sister, Angela, and he's trying to like catch her so he can use her to reproduce his new G-virus monster state. And so we have the the return of one of the gothic's most awkward to discuss tropes, the pseudo incest plotline. Um, yeah, there's there's not really a whole lot to say here. It's a it's a kind of very classic, uh, horror a gothic horror strategy. You know, it goes as you say, it goes all the way back to 1764. Uh, it is, um always about this this kind of obsession with bloodlines and with uh um actually hold on this 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 actually ties in at the level of the film's title to uh a big fear in dun, the dun, late dun, dun, dun. 19th century gothic which was that of degeneration which ties it which was the inverse of darwinian evolution so if in the late 19th century we're dealing with the uh, destabilization of man as the creation of 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 a judeo-christian god uh but as as a, the product of forces of evolution then uh a lot of philosophers were writing about the possibility of devolution of degenerating uh as is the term that was bandied around a lot uh jekyll and hyde is often read in these in, in this kind of context about being about the fear of degeneration in which case this means that resident evil degeneration is not only a Resident Evil movie, but is a classical Gothic text. You're 100% right. It's got the labyrinths. It's got the pseudo incest. It's got the weird power dynamics. It's got the corrupted patriarch. It's got everything you need. It's got all of the classic uh, uh, Gothic components being stirred together in a pot. I, I would kill for a Anne Radcliffe Resident Evil adaptation. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh my god, please. <laughs> you know how good that would be. So so what this means is that the conflict uh, no longer becomes what one that is uh we we even ha- we even have the kind of uh homosocial triangle because you know Leon needs a love interest even though they have literally no chemistry together because uh Leon doesn't believe in human emotions. Um, maybe she just fell for his glorious hair. <laughs> and um, so they have to escape by collapsing a building on top of the now uh, monster-fired brother. Um, and that's that's where, where things end. Yeah, yeah. And it's got, it's got the most Francis Fukuyama ending too, because it, it just kind of stops... There's been another major bio incident, another one, another one. And like, this is, this, this reflects our current moment so much, right? If, if you're in the UK, you're already numb to being in phase a billion and it just goes on and on and on. And if you're in America, like, like in the background, you're always hearing, ah, yeah, another 9-11 today. Well, well time to get the mail, right? Yep. So it's, it's this deadening pulse. And, and that's in the background of the Resident Evil movies. Cause like, if, if you're in like, Anywhere else in the country that's not the immediate area of this air- airport, it's going to be, yeah, it's another bioterror weapon attack. Yeah. It's, like, it's okay. like the fourth this month. It's, it's like the school shooting discourse. Like, 
It's been, you know, zero days since our last major bioterror breakout. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's like, oh, you're going, you're going, you're going to the airport. Make sure you take your mask and don't let anybody bite you. Right, and that would that would 100 be what we'd be hearing in the Resident Evil universe. Yeah, it would be a signs if you're infected with a zombie virus. You know, like oh, are, are there are there strange eyes that weren't there before sprouting out of your shoulders? Uh, you're probably <laughs> infected if that's happening. It would be individualized, right? It would be like oh, well, make sure make sure you wear your uh, CDC approved anti zombie body armor. Yeah, when yeah. You go, when you go out to work at the restaurant. But that's but that's all that's all that would happen, and so uh, you're you're right. At the end, we're just in the exactly the same place. We're in exactly the same place. Uh, you know, the 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 virus hasn't been contained. The uh, the the shadowy corporations still retain uh, the vast amount of control and military uh, power that they had anyway. Um, and uh, Leon and Claire don't seem terribly phased by this. They're just like, "Yep, I'll see you around at the." Ne-. It's sort of like, "Yep, I'll I'll see you at the Christmas biohazard event that we'll inevitably <laughs> get dragged into." It's just like it is baffling, but it's it's only baffling because like the Resident Evil movies are a documentary. These these things are happening right now. Except for we don't have zombies and giant crazy mutants. Yeah. We we have the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. And whatever's going to take that's place. And all of the different pandemics and outbreaks that came before it. Yeah. You know, like we are, we are existing inside of the Resident Evil world. We have major pharmaceutical companies jockeying to make money off of their vaccines. You know, we have arms dealers. You know, like all of these things are real things. We just, we just changed the paint. To, to make a different one million dead in is is not unheard of you know like bah it's 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 baffling it's baffling to me that the resident evil movies can be so accurate and so absurd that that combination creates a serum that is just it's far too real you know this it feels less like i'm talking about a horror movie and more like I'm talking about the news. I I I actually under, understand what you mean, and I think that expresses some of my frustrations with it, which is that uh, its discourse, like like the discourse of mainstream political conversations, happens entirely within the horizons of capitalist realism. Mm-hmm. You know, in Resident Evil, it's literally unthinkable that corporations wouldn't exist. Yeah. In Resident Evil, in Resident Evil, a film series which is literally about the end of the world, you cannot get past capitalism. You still have to have massive centralized private industry that controls everything. Um, And that's why, yeah, it hews too close to our actual reality. But in a way, this actually kind of makes it more sort of honest, I think. You know, this idea of that... that, um, our our genuine day-to-day existence is is suffused with this kind of horror this sort of bleak exhausted tension um so i maybe i i found it i found it bordering on the incoherent but i didn't find it dishonest 
And I think it, there's something instructive about this too, because if this if this shows us how things stay bleak for eternity, that that means that the other paths are ways out, right? Yeah. And that includes uh, Resident Evil Union about the uh, Umbrella Tech Workers Union teaming up with the Tricell Shipping Teamsters to once and for all end <laughs> the spread of bioweapons and the the bold work of of the research heroes who leaked the patent for the uh, vaccine so now the world can make it for free. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 this there, idea there's actually... the way out of the Resident Evil uh, chain of apocalypses. It's not it's not Leon's heroics. It's Precisely. going to be the organized work of people. And I but think this... that the the missing the missing piece here is the most telling part. But this is kind of the problem with this is that the Resident Evil films don't really think that ordinary people are that important. Uh, whereas as, as uh, leftists and, and Marxists, that's precisely what we think is important. And so when and, we, when we start. Oh, Sorry, yeah, go I, on. I, oh, I agree. And I think um, that's, that's one of the things that makes Claire's story so compelling in Resident Evil 2. She's literally just a nobody. Yeah. She, she's gone to Raccoon City to look for her lost brother. You know, she, she's there on a trip of family reconciliation because he he's been missing since uh you know he went on a previous expedition as part of a search and rescue team mm. you know and so she's she's looking for a, an estranged family member and then she's kind of thrown into this chaos you know and to see to see her go on to become like uh just just kind of a a middle manager in some NGO is almost disappointing in a way yeah i mean for what could have been you know this this idea that actually maybe ordinary people can do more than just be chomped by by a zombie and maybe maybe we don't have to care about the uh reactionary senator who's doing stonks manipulation but maybe we can we can organize and we can win uh without the private military contractors would be too much of a radical idea (laughs) it's a bridge too far for resident evil yeah i don't know any any parting any parting thoughts um i feel like we've only just scratched the surface with this film this is this was supposed to be a mini episode, and I don't know what I'll wind up cutting it down to. But as of this moment, it's like forty five minutes long. <laughs> we and we could keep going too. Like the Resident Evil degeneration is just like it's it's rich to the point of nausea, you know. Like the, this is a meal that leaves you too full. I I'm just saying that if this is the uh, this is the 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 kind of tone that the animated films are striking. Um, I cannot wait for the next two. And I, I can't stress this enough. I am new to the next two. I have not seen either of them. So at, at this point, you know, uh, here be dragons. We, we enter into uncharted waters. I, I cannot vet or comment on the next two upcoming films we're talking about. Well, on that note, I think this would be a good place to wrap it up before this turns into an even longer episode. Oh my God. Uh, Well, I hope you enjoy our first full-length mini-episode. We'll be back (laughs) next week for Resident Evil Death Doom Vengeance, sir? (laughs) Resident Evil Tokyo Drift. (laughs) Right, Resident Evil. Oh, so good.
Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>